it's a new year, y'all. Welcome into another episode of the Living in Hope podcast, and Happy New Year to you. I'm your host, Josie, and as we get started this new year, we're going to kick it off by bringing you a story packed full of hope. Let's talk a minute about marriage. We all know that statistically speaking, marriage stories today more often than not end in divorce. It's a fact. So many marriages today don't fare well, and happily ever after is getting to be a very rare thing. Wait a minute. This doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Well, I'm not one to just bring you a story that doesn't have a happy ending. I need one. I love movies and books with happy endings. So today's got one. This story is full of joy and hope, and I'm excited to share it with you. Okay, today Emily is interviewing a powerhouse couple. They're zooming in from Nashville. Chris and Stephanie are going to get real honest with us. They're going to share about their failed marriage, which did result in divorce. But then you're going to get to hear the rest of their story about radical transformation, forgiveness, and their journey to building back trust. Their story gives me so much hope, and I know it will do the same for you. So welcome, Chris and Steph. I'm so glad you guys are here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys could join. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, so I would just love it if you'd introduce yourselves to us, um, to our listeners, who you are, your family, all that. Go for Go it. Go for it. Oh, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> I said it first. So, uh, yeah, we are musicians, and we have the we've been dubbed musicianaries. We get to uh, travel the country and sing music, and sing music about being broken but being healed, and. Um, you know, get to tell the story of what God did in our lives. We uh, we have two children, this side of redemption, <laughs> and uh, they are eight and six. And uh, we have Christmas lights up outside. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know when this will air, but I probably just <laughs> ruined say. everything. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. You're ahead of me. We do not have any Christmas lights outside. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So you share that you're you're musicians, and can you tell everybody what the name of your band is? I know, but there'll be people who will want to (laughs) know. Yeah, we are a duo called Out of the Dust. Love that. I was listening to your music on the way in. I was like, I love this so much. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So I'd love to know um, how you guys came to faith in Christ and um, what that kind of initial faith looked like for you guys, uh, how, how that all transpired. For me, I, I grew up in a pretty quintessential Southern Christian family because we are, we live here outside of Nashville, Tennessee, both born and raised here and, uh, both parents still married, had an older brother. So we were in the church every time it was open, (laughs) every Sunday, every Wednesday, every extracurricular involving the church, my family was there. So my faith has always been a part of my life ever since I was born. You know, my dad, incredible man. He would have us memorize verses. We, I, gosh, I can't even tell you how many things I can recite from the Bible. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that, for that foundation in my life. So, you know, as far as choosing to follow Jesus, I think I was around seven or so, but it was also the kind of thing where I was like, did I say the prayer right? And I would say it like, I don't know how many times yep. <laughs> as, as a kid, we're like, ah, oh, did that stick? Did that work? Um, but then it, it wasn't really until 
and say high school that I fully, as, I mean, we're still learning, right? As Christ followers, but when I started to really understand what it means to be in relationship with the Lord. Mm. I love that. And for, for me, uh, my family, we weren't like a dumpster fire or anything, but it was quite different from, from Stephanie's upbringing. My dad left when I was two and, um, he died when I was 12. I was raised in, um, I was raised in the Methodist church. So a lot of liturgy. Um, and you know, I think there were really great, I think they're really, really great people at that church. Um, but it, there were times, you know, just as a young person, um, I don't, I don't, I didn't feel a huge connection, um, to God, you know, I was busy setting things on fire, uh, and, uh, ADHD kid. <laughs> breaking, breaking everything. Um, you know, but as I got older, uh, specifically, I, I really think it, it had to have been, uh, in high school when we moved, uh, to the city that Stephanie and I will still live in to this day. Um, I got baptized here at a church and, um, yeah, things just, just sort of came online. Felt like God was really revealing himself to me. Um, and yeah, even when we were dating, like we were sharing devotionals with each other and, and doing some all discipleship that. groups. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I love that. I love that you guys had unique, you know, it's kind of different from each other, but kind of united. And I love that. Um, so I'd love to know, um, what your faith looked like in the very early days of your marriage. So you, like, how did you meet? And then you said, you shared that you guys did devotions and things together, but what did that look like as you transitioned into early marriage and how that kind of went forward from there? Well, we, we met in true church form on a mission trip. Of course. <laughs> in, in high school, we were a part of a very large mega church here in town. So we didn't even know each other until we signed up for the mission trip. Uh, it was before our senior year in high school. So yeah, we were super involved in the youth group, grew a ton, had an incredible youth pastor that was a huge influence on both of us. Um, so we will talk more about our, our marriage story, but as far as, as faith goes, I think for me, the we got married in the middle of college. And so I think the busyness of life at that point definitely affected my walk um, because we were figuring out what marriage is. We were still in college. We were worship leaders. I was getting, I mean, I even went on and got my graduate degree. So uh, definitely, I think the priority kept starting to, to slip down because of just all of the things that were pulling at me all the time. I would agree. Your story went a little bit different though. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So why don't you guys um, share your story, your marriage story with us? I know you guys have a really incredible story. I first heard you guys on the Fierce Marriage podcast many years ago. Oh, and, cool. Yeah. So I would love for you to share with us. Yeah. We love those guys. Um, <laughs> so yeah, please interrupt us. We've shared our story literally hundreds of times. So just throw your hand up or just jump right in and interrupt us if we talk uh, too much. Um, no, I, we are, we're here. We'd love to hear all of it. So whatever you have to share today. Yeah. So Steph shared, we met uh, on a mission trip and uh, things progressed pretty quickly from there. Um, sort of fell in love when we were in high school. I think three months in, I was like giving her a rose and 
three roses and some something about being in love. I, the third one was for being in love. So uh, it was very cheesy, but very cute for a seventeen-year-old. <laughs> I mean, I was just trying to be extra. So, uh, so as we, you know, kept we we started talking about marriage, and then we ended up going to college in the same town. So uh, it it worked out for us to do that, and we. We jumped in because we could, because that's why you get married. Um, and right? why wait? Why wait? You know, uh, we're dating. We want to get married. Uh, so we did. We did a half a day of premarital counseling and dove right in. <laughs> oh, my um, goodness. <laughs> and yeah, as Stephanie, uh, yeah. As, as Steph mentioned, you know, being in college is a unique time in life. Uh, and you're very busy all the time. We were both working. We were both going to school. Uh, and then we transitioned into young adulthood and I was in the music industry. She was in education and, uh, you know, it didn't really seem to slow down all that much. Uh, and as we talked about like what our faith was in our, our early marriage, um, faith to me, as I look back, it felt like something that you do, you know, it felt like I kind of knew the right answers, I think, but, uh, my, my, my understanding of, of, who Jesus is and how we are to interact and engage with the kingdom uh, was so different back then. And um, because I was in the music industry, uh, there were lots of temptations uh, for me as a young man, which coincided perfectly. It's almost like the enemy planned this. Uh, I was also having a ton of doubt at the same time because religion and in a Christian life is something that you do. We served everywhere and we got, I think I got wrapped up in the doing and, um, in the being in front of people. I'm very much a performer. And so I was good at performing, uh, both on stage and off stage. So, uh, as I was having these doubts, I kept it all inside mm -hmm. because that's what the enemy wants for us to do is to isolate. And, um, as I isolated, I felt, um, I was working like, um, you know, like I said, in the music industry, and there were just so many places for me to stumble and fall. And um, a lot of the friends that I'd made in college, you know, they knew my doubts and I felt kind of safe with them. Weirdly, I didn't feel safe in the church. So um, I started to uh, to uh, imitate them, you know, because I felt safe with them. And um, the, the Bible tells us that good, good, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. So I experienced that firsthand, uh, drugs and alcohol and parties, mostly to just cope with the shame that I had from the doubt and the hiding and the faking it. And I even hid from Stephanie. Um, and all of that continued, you know, just for years upon years, just stacking the lies that I believed and stacking the lies that I told and, pretending like I was okay and um, retreating deeper and deeper into a life of secrecy where I would get up on stage and, you know, lead worship to a God I didn't even believe in anymore. And the night before I'd been out doing only God knows. Um, so uh, that, that led to me believing a lie that because I wasn't who because there was so much tension in my life, because there was so much um, fakeness, I believed this lie that if I wasn't married, then I would be happy because that was the problem, right? It wasn't that 
I was living so duplicitous. It wasn't that there was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation going on. No, this lie told me that I'd be happy if I wasn't married anymore. So I believed that lie because I thought to myself, hey, uh, if I'm not married anymore, then I don't have to hide anymore. And I don't believe in God anymore. So, you know, I don't need the I don't need that accountability, that shame, you know, dragging me down. And honestly, I, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, which was just uh, smoke weed and drink and be with my friends and be who I thought I really was, you know, because I had a lot of intellectual doubts and I thought a lot of things were true that weren't because I had suffered alone. And I sat Stephanie down one night in January of 2010. And I said, um, this is an exaggeration. I literally sat her down and just said, uh, I don't believe in God anymore. And I don't want to be married anymore. And um, she tried to save our marriage. Uh, we stayed together in the same house for about a month. And then after that, she moved out and uh, I signed papers and walked away from everything and everybody. Yeah. Let me take a Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> that, that night, it just, man, it was just this complete and utter shock of my life. Just crumbling in a way that I'd never, ever saw happening. You know, divorce was not a word that was ever supposed to be <laughs> spoken, let alone a part of my story. Mm -hmm. So, um, but God had a, had a journey <laughs> for me, a, a necessary journey that I, I would never want to walk through that again, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything because of what God showed me. So it was, it was really easy at the beginning to feel like the victim, right? Like I, I didn't want the divorce. I, I tried everything I could to prevent it. I, you know, nothing that I did, nothing that I said could change his mind. Bless her heart. She tried to enter into these wildly theological, scientific, <laughs> oh, philosophical <laughs> conversations. Um, but, um, so for me, it was, I think it got, it, I got to a place of, as anybody going through something like that, just complete desperation and the Lord is faithful and <laughs> he, he meets us, he meets us in those places. And, and he not, he not only met me there, but he, I think he, he pressed in for more for me. You know, I think he, he knew <laughs> the blind spots that I had. He knew the box that I had put him in. And so it was a year of, of learning that, as you'll hear more of his story, like, you know, the sin for him was very outward. Everybody could see the prodigal, right? Like the prodigal story in him. Uh, I didn't relate to that. Rebellion's not my bent. But for me, it was learning that I was more like the older brother. You know, I, I had sin. It just wasn't as obvious. It was a lot of pride and self-righteousness and just ugly heart stuff that's just as bad. It separates me from the father as much as Chris's sin. So, um, so walking through that year of, of just learning all these new beautiful things about God and my identity and and learning what it means to truly let go <laughs> of yeah. the control. Because I think that, and we hear from it, we hear about that time and time again from these messages we get every single day. The hardest thing 
is feeling helpless when you try so hard to cling to what you want. And that's what I was doing. So I think that freedom and that peace came in that moment of, of trusting, letting go and trusting God with whatever was going to happen with Chris, <laughs> with whatever was going to happen with my life, because it was terrifying to not know because I'm such a planner. I wanted to know where my life was going and I couldn't, I couldn't say. So we'll pass it back to you. <laughs> uh, so um, I got to do what I wanted to do. You know, I, the, the, the bridle was removed <laughs> that were bridle spelled a different way. Um, and, uh, I got to be free. You know, I say that with air quotes, um, because, um, you know, I came clean to everybody. I met with everybody that wanted to meet with me in our community and, um, very much hated to hurt people, you know, but it was, it was a necessary evil for me to get what I wanted to get where I wanted to go and to essentially break free from this community that God had blessed us with. And, um, I've described that like, um, I was very much like a, an iron fist with a velvet glove, you know, <laughs> uh, very determined, but very, very nice, you know, very kind, uh, which I'm sure was infuriating to a lot of people, but, <laughs> but yeah, so more of the same, you know, I'd convinced myself that I couldn't love Stephanie as much as I could love someone else who was more like me. You know, I couldn't see past the fact that we were so different. I, I was so focused on that, that I was blind. And, um, you know, I got to be in new relationships with people who were more like me. And it was, um, well, I'll say this, nobody would sin if it wasn't fun. It was great for a while, you know, because <sighs> I've said this, I've said this before, but it's so apt, you know, if we think back to the garden and, and this fruit that we're not supposed to eat, that we're told not to eat this picture of the forbidden fruit, as it were, that, that apple, you know, that whatever it was, I'm sure it tasted very, very sweet, but, yeah. um, the symbol of what it meant is that it, it meant so much more and it, mm -hmm. um, essentially un <laughs> the rebellion that uh, killed us all from the inside out yeah. that we all carry that with now. And that's what it was for me. So, um, that led me to a, a very, very dark place very quickly because, uh, all the lies that I believed came right along with me. And because of that, um, all that baggage just finally hunted me down <laughs> and those lies finally caught up to me. And, uh, one particular relationship I was in ended very violently, very explosively, and when it did, uh, it exposed me to me and I had to see myself for who I really was and for what I had really done and, and see the links to which I was willing to go to get what I wanted and the people I was willing to hurt in service of, of me. And that's a tough pill to swallow, to leave on the pretense of, you know, kind of convincing yourself that you're brave and that you're 
leaving everything to go be who you need to be and who you, who you really are. And then having to come face to face with not who you thought you were, but who you really are. Um, Very selfish, very troubled, lost. And um, I ended up waking up in cold sweats a lot. I was battling anxiety. Um, I even figured out recently I was, I was having physical manifestations of, of this stress and pain of hitting this brick wall so quickly. Oh, but thank God. Thank God. Um, I, when I left, I, I didn't swear God off completely. I just kind of said, I don't know. And I don't think I'll ever truly know. Hmm. But there in the deep, dark pit that I dug for myself, um, cold and lost and alone. Um, God found me, uh, through a myriad of ways. Um, but he did, he found me there, not through head knowledge, not through the things that I thought I needed to know in order to get close to him in order to be able to understand him. He found me through my brokenness in my heart. And in that season, I just got really honest and told the truth to God. Um, We see that modeled for us in the Psalms. So I just told the truth. I told God the truth and he started showing up amazingly because I had seen the depths of my own sin and I was met with, with real transformational radical love. And I opened the Bible for the first time with open eyes and an open heart. And, uh, he, he jumped off the page and through that season, like old friends were kind of hearing that something was going on. I'm getting text messages. I made this note in my phone of all these insane ways that God was showing up in my life. And throughout that season, I, I, I kept hearing this whisper, but I like, I ignored it at first. Cause you know, honestly, Stephanie, we didn't, we didn't like our, 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 the death of our marriage and our relationship, it wasn't explosive, you know, Stephanie very kindly and lovingly just sort of felt God give her peace about letting me go. And so I heard this whisper, but I ignored it for a while because it still just hadn't quite clicked yet, but it got louder and louder until I couldn't ignore this, this message coming from God. It wasn't audible, but, uh, I've never felt anything so powerful in my life than for God to tell me in that season what he was telling me. And that was for me to pursue Stephanie again. So I uh, picked up the phone and did the first thing that you do when you are wanting to reconcile with your estranged wife. I called her parents. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, I met with them and. They called her and we're like, Hey, I think it's safe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you have, you have, and had a very close relationship with my parents. You were a son to them. So. Uh, uh-huh. so yeah, I, I, um, I met with Steph and she can take over from there cause she remembers it probably better than I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there's, yeah, I won't talk forever about it, but basically we hadn't talked in months and he wanted to get together. So we, 
I had bought a new house at the time. He came to the door. I said, you know what? Let's, let's walk. <laughs> she wouldn't let me in. <laughs> Not like maliciously, but it was, I mean, it was my new sanctuary. You know, my friends and family, we wrote scripture all over the floor. And anyway, it was just, we, we ended up walking the neighborhood for like two hours, just telling each other of all the things that we'd seen God do and what we had learned that year. And by the end of the conversation is when he shared that, God had told him that we should be together again. Yeah. You know, just two hours into not talking <laughs> since, since the divorce. But as, man, as beautiful as that night was and seeing right in my face, just right in front of me, all the answers to all these prayers that were lifted on, on his behalf, on our behalf for myself and our loved ones. Um, so she said yes. And we got married the next day. <laughs> Of course. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I had forgiven him, but trust is something that takes time. Yeah. And we tell that to everybody. It takes time. If somebody wants to earn it. They will take the time and show you through their actions and their words that they deserve. They've earned that trust back. So thank and God just, she's smarter than I am. <laughs> well, I, I praise God for guiding that conversation. <laughs> But we also, we had grown so much in that year and knew that we didn't want, we didn't want emotions to leave. We didn't want to do it in our own strength because that's what we tried to do the first time. So we decided to take a few months and do some counseling and you were already in counseling at the time, I think, and involve our pastors and family and all just pursue together what the Lord's will was for us and came together in agreement that, yep, our God's a God of redemption. We should go for it. And so we started completely over, went on our second first date. <laughs> and then within a few months, we're remarried just in a tiny ceremony. It's our family, which was a little over a year after our marriage blew apart. Literally everything new, everything. new first date, yeah. <laughs> new wedding ceremony. Yeah. yeah. It was beautiful. New marriage, new marriage. He's, he's Absolutely. transformed everything. It took time. You know, it's not like credits roll, but, (laughs) but everything is different now. It's amazing. Yeah. Now we are, as of this year, we are 10 years, 10 years since being remarried. And now our kids, we mentioned, we have two little incredible balls of energy of uh, (laughs) the reminder of God's redemption. Miracle heathens. (laughs) Right. I have a few of those myself, actually. I love that. I love that. So, you know, like you said, it wasn't like your, your second wedding ceremony was the time that the credits rolled and it was, Mm -hmm. it was over. No, there was so much more beyond that. So talk me through what marriage looked like going forward from there. And, um, was there anything that had to, I'm sure there was, but had to get ironed out that took place, like from what happened before having to move forward and kind of what that looked like moving forward for you guys. Yeah, before we even got remarried, our counselor was like, hey, you know, we just need to have every door open, like open the windows. We got to air this this house out, right? We got to get everything out in the open. There's no question that's wrong. There's no question that's too deep. Everything, pure honesty. And we're going to do that for as long as we all think we need to. But then at some point, we're going to decide and say, okay, this is... This is, that chapter is over. We're going to close that door. We're going to close those windows. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we things don't 
come up or, or things don't trigger or whatever. But so we had done a lot of that work before we got married. Um, but the biggest thing that I can think of um, in our marriage and what, what, what felt so different to me was again, this honesty, like I'd, I'd lied and been so again, just duplicitous, just complete two people for so long that it felt so foreign to be able to be myself. And for that to not be met with judgment, that's the work that God did in her heart. (laughs) You know, I'm so, I'm so in love with, with her for her open heartedness in that season to not close off and, and feel so victimized or like for her to turn inward and to let God do work in her heart is incredible. So in our, in our second marriage, um, it just felt very open and free and, and, and okay that I was okay. And I'm still, I'm still like harvesting the, 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 the fruit of that, honestly, feeling the freedom to, to really truly be myself. It's like, I have to remind myself that it's okay. Uh, I think honestly, we, we probably all do because we all deal with that shame that we're, we're too much or we're not good enough or they won't, how would anybody ever understand what I'm going through? Um, I don't know. What would you say about it? Yeah, no, I think that's great. And we are such different people <laughs> than we, than we were before. And, and for sure, like you were saying, you know, as we dealt with a lot of the issues and rebuilding that trust, it does take time. And, um, I think at some point for me, as I don't know that I've ever talked about this specifically, but I think mm, there's I'm just, a, <laughs> I don't know. we're in the process of writing a book. So we've been like mining all of these things, <laughs> but, oh, okay. um, but just thinking through, you know, it's, it's a really insecure place to live. If you're constantly looking for, you know, waiting on somebody to break your trust again, or like looking for the triggers, looking for, Oh, like just the anxiety that that brings is overwhelming to think about when I think about now and that I don't, I don't have to question it. Like I don't have to question that Chris is going to in private go and and be seeking whatever, whether that's like a habit or face struggles or whatever. I just, we've made it to a place of knowing like we can fully trust. (laughs) We can fully trust each other and know that we can come to each other with anything. And I think there is a choice that has to be made. Yes. That person needs to show you that they're kind of basically they're worthy of that, of that trust. Right. Um, but I think there's just, we both, I would say can just feel so much peace and security knowing that yes, we're going to have seasons that are hard and we've walked through that. We are parents, we are humans. (laughs) So we have seasons that are harder and where we just aren't lining up right. And certain, you know, busyness of life will catch up to us again. And, um, but knowing even when we're struggling, we know we're going to, we're going to get back to where we were again. You know, we, it's worth it. So I started to like recite our song lyrics. We have a song called fall back in love. And it's about just that of like, when those hard times come, it's worth the work. It's worth the work to. I wish everyone, I wish everyone married or not knew how it felt to fully be honest and to be known. And I think, I think Tim Keller said like, he had this long quote, I won't bore you, but to be fully known Mm -hmm. and to be loved and for someone to say, 
I see you, I hear you. I may not even understand, but you're okay. What you're, what you're saying, what you're feeling, like if that's within the context of a marriage or just godly community, like I really wish everybody knew what that was like, because it's, it's transformational. It's, it's, it's radical and amazing. Yeah. My, my husband and I, we run the marriage ministry here at our church and that's something we've been talking about a lot is that idea of being fully known and fully loved and being transparent with one another. And, um, it's, it is incredible to me sometimes how few marriages have that and how, um, I see it. I feel like sometimes even more, more prevalent in Christian marriages because we feel this pressure to look a certain way or to Mm -hmm. behave a certain way or to have a certain kind of family or certain kind of relationship. And that pressure really does breed a lot of dishonesty and not necessarily like outright lies, but a lot of um, keeping things from your spouse that you feel like will damage the reputation or damage the, um, the pic- the perfect picture. Um, and so, yeah, we've been talking about that a lot with different people and just seeing how, how desperate people are for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you so- would love this. I heard this story about this guy who started a Bible study with, uh, he like just had a heart for, um, people in the middle East. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he started this Bible study for like essentially people who were Muslims and curious about Jesus. And his whole thing was like, Hey guys, I'm really bad at this, (laughs) but if you want to come and learn about Jesus, like let's do that together because, and and just, just to see, just to know that, that I think it went from like 12 people to like 200 people. And then like like thousands thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so just, it's so disarming when someone is honest. I mean, to tell you, it's humility and to tell you, man, the reciprocity that comes from that, I, we get so many messages and stories because it's contagious, you know, vulnerability and honesty and humility is contagious. Um, yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift that we get. It's a burden sometimes it's a lot, but man, what a gift, um, to see that, to see your own junk, just being honest about it can help transform somebody and God can be in that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I, um, I would love to know just really quick, if you have anything that you would say or any encouragement for couples or even one spouse or the other, who's walking through something similar to what you guys walk through, um, Steph, whether you have something that you would share for a wife or Chris, if you have something you share with, I mean, obviously it can go both ways, but I just love if you have any encouragement to share. Yeah. I, I think from the perspective of the person who has been betrayed or left or is just desperate, right. Desperate for something to happen in their marriage or with their spouse. I think first, um, you're not alone. (laughs) You're not alone. I think it can feel, especially in the church, especially in the church, it can feel so lonely. Like you can't share what you're going through. Um, and please, if that's you, we'd love to send us a message. We'd love to walk you through that as best as we can. But um, you're not alone. And ultimately, God, God is for you. He sees you. He knows. <laughs> he knows what you're going through. Um, and I know I kind of mentioned it earlier, but that that whole idea of control, man, it's 
it's a hard one. It's hard because you want nothing more than to desperately just fix it, right? To fix it. And, and my advice, encouragement, it sounds so easy <laughs> to just say, well, just let it go. <laughs> Trust God. But honestly, the only thing that you can control is your own your own heart and what you can do. And, and the, the best that you can do right now is just press into the Lord and, and ask him to show you the things that you need, you need him for in your own life and in your own heart. Because sometimes the, the only thing you can do, if you can't, like in my situation, I couldn't convince him to stay. You know, the only thing that I could do is try to be the best representation of Jesus that I could with in the time that I had with him, which takes leaning on the Lord because that is not something that we naturally do and we have been hurt. So just press into him, know you're not alone and know that, that he is going to give you what you need to walk that road and that he's not going to waste any of it. Hmm. Uh, and I would say two things. Number one, if you, if you have any semblance to my story, or if you're just struggling, you just, you got to tell somebody the truth, you know, as hard as it is, even, you know, as hard as it may feel fear of judgment. Sometimes, sometimes you kind of know, you already know what's right and you already know what, what, um, what the right answer is, but it hurts to tell the truth. So I would tell, I would say that. And then I would say too, that our culture is just really bad at suffering, yeah. suffering well. And if you're in a tough season, um, it's okay. You know, it's, it, it's hard. It's hard, but I look, I look at my kids a lot and, um, I just, just naturally I see immaturity, uh, in, in the way that they deal with things that they don't like. Right. And the mark of someone who is spiritually mature, I think, is someone who can meet those hard seasons, who can walk into a season of suffering, and who can respond well, who can bring what they have, all their anger, all their frustration, they can bring that to God and be honest with Him about it and sit with it. Sit in the presence of God with what you have, whatever it is, and let him transform you and teach you something through that suffering. Because I heard one of our friends say this. She says, uh, we feel hopeless when we focus only on our circumstances, but we feel hope when we focus on Jesus. And it's really easy in seasons of suffering to look around and see whatever it is, you know, to see the des the desolation, the, the destruction, but to keep, to, so, so we have to acknowledge that, which is why we bring it to God first and foremost. But the other is to focus on Jesus and his call on our lives to follow him and to live like he lives. And you know what? He had a lot of suffering, yeah. you know? And so there's something, there's something to learn from those seasons that running away will not teach you. Yeah. And I think something that we always, always say from stage is that, you know, our, our story does look like it's tied up in a nice little bow. Like we said, you know, we got this ending that we did not deserve. Um, but for us, we always make it clear that if, even if, if this had not happened again, the work that God did in our hearts, mm -hmm. both of us in our own journeys, like if that's where it ended, 
that would have been enough. <laughs> you know, Jesus is enough. He's still good, no matter your ending. You know, we have one of my best friends went through something similar and her husband never came back. But God was still good and God mm-hmm. still had a plan for her life. And now, you know, she's got this beautiful life now that that I think is just something she never could have even imagined. And so, you know, God doesn't waste anything, doesn't waste our pain and our suffering in these awful situations. Because you know what? Our world is full of sin and sin breaks things. But God, but God, man, he, he will use it. He will use it for our good and for his glory. I love that. So the question we ask everybody who comes on with us, um, this being the Living in Hope podcast, is I love to ask um, what hope means to you. So I'd love for each of you to share what hope has looked like for you or what hope means to you in this season or in the past. I'd love to just know your thoughts. Oh, I'll get real honest. How about that? I've been talking about honesty. Um <laughs> I can be a bit cynical. I mean, you know, I left the church and sadly I can, I can still be a little cynical about the church. And, and one of the things that's always bugged me a little bit is kind of the, um, um, the futurist version of hope, the futurist only version of hope where it's like an escape plan, you know? Um, and, and, and not even just, not even just, you know, I said a prayer and so I have fire insurance now and I'm not going to hell, but just the, the idea that our hope is, is somewhere other than right now, because yes, we do have hope that we do have hope that suffering will end and God will come and he will redeem all things. But we also have a savior who came to earth to initiate that hope. And one day, what he initiated will be completed, but we also have hope right now in each and every moment through the grace and the peace of his life, of his spirit alive in us. And that comes in the form of each present moment that we have a choice, that we have a choice to choose that grace and that peace. And sometimes that's, you have to hold that in the same hand as you're holding that suffering, but yeah. that's the mystery. That's the beauty is that somehow those things can coexist. That's, that's what hope is to me. Oh, you took my answer. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. Word for word. Huh? <laughs> exactly what I saying, man. Now I think just what comes to mind for me is there's just, there's a lot going on in our world in these last couple of years have just sucked the life and hope out of so many of us, mm. I feel like. And and even just feeling the weight of it. You know, we we were not unscathed walking through COVID. We lost a loved one. We lost <laughs> our, you know, our job kind of relies on gathering so that yeah. we know that was a huge, huge adjustment and faith building time for us. And praise God, he always provides. But I think just this weight of all of the pain, the frustration, this like pent up, just everything, all the emotions. It just, yeah, it just sucks the hope out of this life. But, but truly along the lines of what you were saying, come on, <laughs> just knowing it's worth that, saying again, <laughs> just the, just the joy that comes from knowing that this is not all there is, mm. you know, the hope that there is something bigger 
than me. There's something bigger than all of this mess. Like there is, there's stuff God is working in the midst of it. Even mm-hmm. we don't see it. We don't know what it is or what he's doing. I mean, we wrote a song called pity party <laughs> because walking through COVID just not knowing what God was doing. You know, we had set up that year, literally consecrated the year. My parents came over and did a whole thing <laughs> in January of 2020. So yeah, just the hope yeah, that he is still he is still moving, he is still present, even in the midst of, of a world that looks kind of like a mess right now. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Man, things really do feel like they're a mess in this world right now, don't they? But as Steph said, God is still present. He is still moving. And he has the power to take the most broken of things and transform them and redeem them. So be encouraged, my friends, wherever you are in this moment, in the midst of heartbreak, frustration, pain or addiction, loneliness, sickness, or wherever this finds you, you are not alone. You're on a journey and God is on it with you. Lean into him and find hope. I'll end with this quote that Chris shared because it really does say it all. We feel hopeless when we focus only on our circumstances but we feel hope when we focus on Jesus. And just one more thing before I let you go. If you want more information on Chris and Steph's ministry, we put a link to their website in the podcast description.